Hello and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Brennan and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm also the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. And in this platform, I have the opportunity to speak to some of the people that are leading the businesses or are taking part in initiatives that are reshaping the world of Cold Chain as it is today. We focus on the UK, but also look at Cold Chain opportunities from around the world. Um, I'm already recording this at the end of Budget Week, another important week for um, our country, talk of whether we're coping with recession, how we're dealing with issues around energy resilience and the future of energy pricing. But also this is the week where we held our Cold Chain Climate Summit and I was so delighted to be in the room in Warwick University with so many people, more than nearly 200 people from across our sector and giving out our first ever Cold Chain Sustainability Awards, celebrating the very best of the leaders that are making a difference on the core issue I genuinely believe this, the core issue that shapes the future of our industry, which is how we deal with the climate and sustainability challenge. Both the opportunities and the threats of our future as an industry are contained in the issues that we dealt with at that summit. So it's definitely something we'll be doing again. Looking forward for a venue for next year and a date, and we'll be announcing that very soon. But very much in this conversation, I'm delighted to bring you someone who I find really inspiring. Lisa Jane Cook, who works for GEA, refrigeration but is best known if you follow her on social media for her work in across promoting diversity in refrigeration engineering um, and she'll talk about it herself in the in the conversation but she's very involved in promoting the careers in schools in refrigeration and other activities promoting engineering to, to young people as well as and I'm really impressed by this that she's now a UN ambassador working on a UN conference, talking to other professionals from across the world about the importance of empowering uh, women and other uh, minority groups in the engineering space. So I don't need to keep explaining what she's going to talk about. We're going to hear from her right now. Um, I hand over now to my conversation with Lisa Jane. Lisa Jane, hi, welcome to the Cold Chain podcast. Hi, nice to meet you. Great to meet you too. Um, as you know, this is our chance to just talk to people that are doing interesting and 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 uh, impactful things in the world of cold chain. And I think you know you certainly fit that brief uh, from what I know about you and the work that you you do in different sectors and and uh, across across the refrigeration industry. Um, it's always good to start with a question about how you got into it. So how did you come into the world of refrigeration? It's something that we've obviously talked about a lot, um, just sort of getting to know people in the industry and, and discussing some of the issues that we face. And one of them obviously is attracting people to refrigeration. And um, I, like many other people, fell into refrigeration. It's certainly not something I considered at school. Um, from about the age of five, all I ever wanted to do was be in an orchestra. And I actually trained as a classical musician. So that right, right. very much was my focus all the way through school. Um, I've always been strong at science and maths um, and obviously sailed through my GCSEs with those, but it was never my intention to follow those into a, a career. Um, when I left school, I went to do A-levels and unfortunately that was really when I sort of come a bit unstuck. It really wasn't for me. So at 17 years old, I found myself without a place in education and without a job. Um, and my dad <laughs> was quite strict and he essentially said to me that I had three weeks to turn it around 
So I either had to find myself another placement in college, whether that be doing, you know, sort of a BTEC or um, going back and find another A-level course or to get a job. Um, so that that was that basically. So I um, managed to find a placement with a youth training scheme locally um, and they put me through a modern apprenticeship in IT. So I then went on to train to be a computer programmer. And um, I got a job with a local company, a building services engineering company, and it was just programming their in-house systems, their CRM. Um, and I qualified with my, um, my IT modern apprenticeship. And then sadly, after five months with that company, they lost their contract with the local council, which meant they had to lay off a large number of staff. Being someone that was, you know, last through the door, it was it was unfortunately the end of the road for me there. So I found myself back in the same place that I'd been a few years before. And my dad gave me the same ultimatum. You need to find a job or you need to leave my house. <laughs> OK. Um, and there was a job that come up um, at Heating and Cooling Coils in their drawing office. Yeah. And um, my mum looked at it and she was like, you should apply for that. And it was for a drafting position. And I said, so I, you know, I don't know how to draw. I've never used AutoCAD before. I know nothing about refrigeration or manufacturing. And she said, just just go for it um, and I'll help you out. She was a drafts person by trade, an electrical mm-hmm. engineer. So she was like, I'll teach you a little bit. So I went for the interview and um, they took a chance on me and offered me the position. And that was the start of my career into wow. refrigeration. Did you like refrigeration from the start then? Once you, once you got in, was it sort of immediately like, this is a really interesting area where I can see myself working? I think the team you work with will always pay a really big role in that if you go into a company and it's got a really well established culture that's perhaps a little bit clicky you know they've, they've already got their their groups the social groups that they they sort of mix with then it might be a little bit more difficult to sort of come in and, and find a love for it for straight away but what I have found in our industry is that we have a great community and all of the companies that I've worked at have had strong social um sort of groups as well but they've all been very welcoming so I think that played a big part in it but also them as a company they didn't just throw me into the role and say this is what you're going to do so just draw these cold stores you know here's the building blocks get on with it they took me into the factory and they taught me how to make the foam panels so I went through the whole process from when we design the cold store for the customer so how we do the heat load calculations how we fit the modular panels together and then how we make them and then when they go on a trailer we would go out and install them for the customers if they wanted that element of the service as well. So I actually got to see that side of it. And I think having that that experience and that background and understanding the process from start to finish really did probably spark my interest. So it was, you know, I think if I just sat there and was just putting blocks together on CAD all day, it would have been really boring. But it's the science behind it, isn't it? And actually, you know, having the opportunity yeah. to do all of that was probably what did spark my interest. Um, and interesting, I didn't stay very long in the cold store division. So I did I did start there. Um, but they actually said to me, oh, you talk a little bit too much. And it was a really sort of quiet office. Obviously, they, it was just men. So they were just used yeah. to they get their cup of tea and put their heads down and get on with it. And they weren't interested in, you know, just sort of having a bit of general chit chat. Um, so they moved me to the coil division, which was just up the road, which actually in the sales and apps department was all women, which... Yeah. That was 23 years ago now, which was pretty much unheard of. But they just mm-hmm. obviously had a real um, culture in the company where they supported each other, grew um, and just did a great job running that department. 
um and that's really probably where I found my place was with with those women um they invested a lot of time teaching me about the fundamentals of air movement thermodynamics this is why we do this this is how we do that um and everything kind of snowballed from there really well let's talk about the thing that I know you best for and I think that you know you certainly are one of the most the leading voices in the in the whole industry on is the issue of um diversity in our workplace diversity in our industry and um the initiatives that you are part of can you sort of explain where you think we're at as an industry when it comes to the diversity and uh opportunities that are available for a mix of different types of people across 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 society if you like and what we're, what's happening right now in terms of trying to deal with that and make that better okay so we're definitely improving um and I sort of I'll go back a little bit to my to my career so once I'd done my time um with heating and cooling calls in the the sales and apps department um Searle approached me um who actually were just a couple of miles up the road and they'd offered me an apprenticeship so I hadn't been looking to leave heating and cooling calls but they said you know if you come and join yeah. us we'll put you through an apprenticeship so that's how I got my um BTEC yeah. And I think, I mean, it's not even just about about women, let's say it is about other minorities, but also we we have an aging workforce and my time at Seoul demonstrates that perfectly. So when I joined the sales and apps department there, that was in 2002 and I left in 2018 and I had been the youngest person and the only female in that department. And when I left, I had one apprentice. He was younger than me um, and he is younger than me, but he wasn't like, you know, out of school or early 20s. He yeah. was in his 30s. Um, but I was still the only woman. So I think that demonstrates perfectly that even over that 16 year period, we hadn't really moved much. Um, but what I can say is that from bringing women together in the industry, as we do with the IOR and the women in RACHP group, is that we've actually started to create visibility of not only that we are here and there are women in the industry and they're playing a really important part, um, but for other minorities as well, is get, getting other people talking. Um, so we've seen in the IOR, and I, I think it probably is quite reflective of the industry and demographics, but back in 2016, only 2% of our membership were female. That's now increased to just under 4%. So it, it's not a massive jump, but it is a jump. But when you yeah. compare that to the number of women in engineering, which is currently sitting at about 16 percent, you can see that we are falling quite short of, of the national average. And the national average isn't where the government expects us to be either. So we, we, we definitely got gaps. So so that the, so the IOR has significantly has increased by a well, doubled its female membership. Is IOR a direct reflection of the industry or is there? You know, what do, do we have a sense of how many, what the percentage of women are employed in refrigeration roles across the, the HVAC sector? Uh, there was a report um, by the International Institute of Refrigeration um, a few years ago, I think it was 2017 or 2018, and they looked at that globally. So the number of women belonging to institutions across the globe. Um, and their suggestion is, is that it was fairly reflective of the industry as a whole. Um, I think what we're missing in that count is the women that are working in supporting roles because the IOR tends to appeal to people yeah. people in a technical role because we obviously offer the, all the, the talks, the webinars, the technical yeah, yeah. days, the papers. Um, but we're definitely seeing an increase of membership at the, the affiliate and pre-associate level. 
um, which shows that, you know, we do have people here in the industry, um, females, and they do play a really strong, a strong and important role in what we do. Um, and I think by getting them engaged with the industry um, and the IOR through that membership, we're also showing them the opportunities that are open to them. You know, I, I didn't have a technical background when I started in the industry. It's something that I've built along the way. Um, and I'm definitely hearing from other women in the industry who are perhaps in roles, in support roles that are saying, I'd, I'd actually really like to have a go at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's really what we wanted is to, to inspire to... people to give it a go. But also there are so many other roles that aren't technical that are really vital to the, the everyday yeah. running of our businesses. Yeah, totally. totally. That's sort of that. You, know, you you can be what you can see. Kind of kind of mentality is is so is so fundamentally important, isn't it? So, do you think other sectors of engineering are doing it better, or um, in terms of um, in terms of sort of diversity because of those differences and differentials between the refrigeration sector and other parts of engineering, or is it something intuitively about refrigeration that's that's holding people holding it back? Do you have a sense of that yet? Um. It's interesting because I have actually been thinking about this and I think one of the key issues that we have is that we're we're not visible. People don't think about refrigeration. When you go to the supermarket, they don't think, how have I got this piece of fruit in the way that it is? Or, you know, who made this ready meal that I've just taken out of the fridge? And I think that that fundamentally is an issue. Um, and that is another area that we're trying to work on through our STEM outreach um, is going into schools and just talking to the children about how their food gets to their table um, and you can do so many little fun experiments and I think actually when they're younger that's something that's really key is about making it fun um, but just to engage with them and once you've got their attention through that fun experiment you can then say hey have you ever actually thought about this yeah. um, and I think that's that's one of the things that we really need to do. Um, do, you also suppose... think... Sorry. Sorry. do you do you also think that um, that uh, the the sort of recent issues of the front page news around supermarket supply chains and and uh, uh covid vaccines and some of these things that are all about the refrigeration sector and the refrigerated supply chain um and also all the issues around climate sustainability do you believe that there are opportunities there for for sort of increasing the visibility of, of what refrigeration is and how it fits into a bigger picture i think there certainly is. And again, that's something that I sort of touched on is, is the COVID pandemic. Um, we saw a massive spike in inquiries through our website. Can you get us down to minus 90? And, and for us, it was great because, you know, we, we've never been so busy. And when we expected with everybody being furloughed and things being sort of scaled back, that we possibly would have had a lull in our, our business. And it was very much the opposite. And I know it was true for you guys as well in terms of storage and distribution of goods because the demand was so high. Um, there is a really good opportunity there. And again, it's it's translating that into something that people understand, something that's meaningful. Um, my only concern is, is that all of those topics are overshadowed by politics. Right, um, yeah. And I think quite often when you try to sort of have a, a good news story or you talk about something that's, you know, that we've achieved, it, certainly that people would be saying, well, we wouldn't be in that position if it wasn't for this. So I think sometimes that these things become a bit overshadowed by Governance and that, that could be yeah. that's a turn that could be a turn off. You don't want to get involved in controversial areas. You don't want to be involved in those sorts of pub conversations about those sorts of issues. That's an interesting 
That's a very interesting thought. Because I, I intuitively go the other way, but that's probably because of the, the nature of what I do and how I do it, that I sort of like like to roll my sleeves up and wade into these discussions and feel like they're uh, they're empowering. But I can, you know, it's very important to understand that you can see it the other way too. Um, so yeah, so 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 obviously STEM and the focus on schools and and and, and getting getting the message out at, at that level. Do you do you think that's the sort of thing that could be achieved at scale? That people could that could actually become something that becomes culturally part of what's taught in schools oh, the education system yeah so I, I actually am a non-executive director at my local uh, multi-academy trust um I was asked if I would consider the position um mm. because of the work that I do in STEM so I'm already known to the schools locally as one of the STEM ambassadors um but actually my children go to one of the schools as well so I had another motivation yeah. you know I wanted to to get involved and to really see what was going on behind the scenes yeah. um and what I can say is there's a lot of issues that probably have come out off the back of covid so there's there's the behavioral issues um you know and, and we might not think of school as a place where they learn to be social but it really is they've got yeah. their own small communities so because there's these behavioral issues a lot of time is sort of focused on that um and obviously there is a curriculum that they have to deliver as well um, which they'll always be focused on and I don't think that engineering and STEM subjects feature highly enough in that um, but having said that I don't also just think that the schools have got the budgets to support those things mm -hmm. fully so programs like STEM amazing um, they're, they're done on a low budget so that the women that go through the training they don't have to pay for that that's provided by the sponsors all of the materials that are um, needed to do the experiments in school are either really, really cheap. So we use things like toilet roll tubes. You know, you just ask people to collect them, old plastic bottles, elastic bands. Um, and even, you know, if the school can't afford them, STEM Amazing will support them with that as well. So the sponsorship that they they get, they spend some of that on delivering those um, materials to the schools. And they focus quite heavily also on schools that are in deprived areas. So where the schools have a large number of students on the, the, the free school meals tend to be the areas where those activities are not being delivered. So we are trying to, to focus on the schools that aren't getting. Um, there are some really good schools out there that have a good STEM um, education system, but they tend to be in the wealthier areas. Um, yeah. So that's one way that we're trying to tackle it. Um, it's such yeah, a big, it's such a big thing, you know. Just, you know, the world of education, and it's such a. I mean, I've, I've been governor of my kids' school as well, and I've just, <laughs> I just found it daunting. And certainly, but first thing in terms of the mentality of the school system works is so different to the business environment that you sort of, and that's that's an easy thing to say, but it just is. It's daunting the amount of policies, processes, and structures that they operate within, and trying to get into those with sort of innovation and creativity feels quite hard half the time. Um, but also, I think that there's a, um, I wonder whether there's also a question about what, what level you pitch at. Are, are we talking about talking to, to five-year-olds or are we talking to 17-year-olds or or somewhere in between? I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a sense of that? Um, so I, I actually do all, all, all the yeah. way through to university. So, yeah. um, and I don't have a degree, so I can't, yeah. I can't really speak to them about what their experience, you know, yeah. doing a degree is going to be like, but I can talk to them about, what my experience has been like and how I found my way through the industry. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, you've, you've got to obviously build on that yourself and build your experience and, and actually whatever you're comfortable with doing. Um, I really enjoy doing the experience with the kids. And only last week I was in a, a local engineering college and I did a whole hands on day and we moved around 
I think there were 16 different stands from local businesses, but they had really interesting um, experiments for the kids to get involved in. One of them was Southern Water, where they set up some pipes and valves and they asked the children to get on a bike and pedal, which powered this little electric motor, which then in turn obviously powered the pump. And they had to move the water from the bottom to the reservoir at the top. And mm. it was great to see them doing that because they're actually thinking in terms of something that they can apply to life later on if they want to get into a trade. Um, but I also do talks with senior schools. So when they're at that sort of year nine level, so when they're about 13 years old and they're just starting to consider what they might want to do as their GCSEs and, and a route into a career, I'll go and talk to them about apprenticeships and the, the wide range of careers that are available, not only in our industry, but actually in engineering and STEM as a whole. Um, and then, like I say, yeah, I've talked to university students as well about, you know, what life's going to be like after university. So there's opportunities at all levels. Um, and to answer your previous question, I do think it's scalable, but it's going to need commitment from people across the industry. You know, it's it's really good for you as either an association organisation or as a business to get into your communities. We're, we're all struggling to get people into the industry by putting your name out there. And in fact, that your money where your mouth is, because a lot of people say that they're supporting, you know, these initiatives like diversity, sustainability. But are you actually active in your communities promoting yeah. that? If you yeah. do that, you're working on your brand. You know, you, you're building a brand that actually within your local community, people are going to say, I remember when they came out to school and it was really interesting. Or, you know, perhaps you're not interested specifically in that role, but there might have been something that you were shown that you found really inspiring or something that sparked an interest. Um, how many how many kids do you reckon or how many children do you reckon you personally have sort of spoken to about this stuff over the last few years sort of roughly um I did actually do a report I printed off a report the other day but I think over the last two years I've spoke to about three and a half thousand yeah well it's well so yeah actually once you start saying well you can get in front of three and a half thousand people I mean literally the energy levels you bring to it at least are probably higher than the, the 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 most, but nonetheless, you know that's one person. So actually, you can start to see it scaling in that sort of in that sort of rate, can't you? I think something again that's come off the back of COVID and it's affected a lot of people in the way that we work is the fact that we can have meetings over Team and Zoom, um, and that's something that I've utilised. Is I can have two classes of children, so I can actually see sixty children all at once. So you've got 30 in one classroom watching me and you've got 30 in the other. I've got a split screen on my laptop. So the, the opportunities actually to reach people where we wouldn't have been able to before are incredible now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's really it's really inspiring to think of, 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 of that of that of that kind of thing. Talk to me about the UN. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a UN ambassador right now. So uh, can, you, can you explain what that is and how you got into that and, and what what it hopes to achieve or what it does achieve? Okay, so I got into it as a fellow award winner from the Rising Stars Award. So I won an award last year um, as a rising star in science and engineering. Um, and the creator of those awards, um, Vanessa Valley, she, she's really um, passionate about empowering women um, to be leaders in this area. Um, and something that she does really well is creates this network. So I've now got a network of fantastic, inspiring women from 20 different industries so I'm, I'm picking up knowledge that I wouldn't have been um, privy to before uh, so it was a fellow award winner that said there's an opportunity here to apply to become a, a delegate for the UK so I thought well what have I got to lose so I applied for it and, and I was accepted onto that wow. um, 
this year the UK has over 3,000 ambassadors and that's been enabled by again having the opportunity to join on Zoom. So we've not all gone to New York to join this uh, conference, we're all doing it remotely. Um, there's probably about 20 different activities that you can join every day um, and obviously I can't do all of those because I do again have that paid work to do but it allows me to have an opportunity to see other areas of diversity and to become aware of issues that perhaps I wasn't aware of before. Um, so the, it's been a really fascinating um, experience. I've learned a lot already, um, but yeah, I've, it's still not over yet. So <laughs> I'm sure there's still a lot to how, do. How long and, did it last for? So the, the, the conference is two weeks, so that finishes tomorrow. Um, right. But we're actually tied up as a network for, for 12 months. So after that, we'll be creating smaller groups so we can get together and discuss some of the issues that have perhaps either resonated with us or that are relevant to us every day um, and the idea is is that from those groups we'll be able to create um, it's almost like documents or guidance that we can then deliver to the government to say these are the key issues that are affecting young women and this is how we suggest they're approached um, so it's really just a great big knowledge sharing pool really. Yeah but working across country working across and do you, do you find the similarities in what you're hearing to experience in the UK or are there significant differences would you say? Um, no I think that there's quite a lot of similarities if I'm honest there's there's some areas where they're slightly different um, I think tech which is is the key focus of the conference this year there are more women working in tech but I think they still have the same issues when it comes to career advancement and you know sort of getting into those leadership roles um i think that's probably something that we really need to focus on next is you know we, we're, we're sort of tackling diversity at the grassroots and actually when you're you're working at that level in businesses people you know do tend to work as teams but i think it's when you start to look further up um i suppose it's like talking from personal experience what i've really seen is there are either no no women at board level in the companies or there may be one or two women, um, and this isn't for everybody that I've met, but I've, I've found really that because women have to work particularly hard to get into those positions, um, the women that are sitting in those positions then aren't helping the women that are coming up behind them because they're almost saying, well, I've had to fight really hard for this position, so you have to do the same. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we really sort of need a change in that attitude to, you know, You've, you've fought a hard battle, but why shut the door behind you? You need to open it for the people that follow on from you. Um, and, you know, as yeah. I said earlier, you know, I, I don't want to sit in the positions that I'm sitting in the boards that I am forever. I, I can't do that. I'll be exhausted if I try and do that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to help. Are... Yeah, trying to help others to realise the potential that they've got um, and really sort of lift them them up as well. And hopefully they'll do the same. And then I think we'll see a, a quicker shift in the, the dynamics. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I've one of the things I've found something I've been doing this for 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 a bit years now, is that where there are women who are in leadership positions or are able and confident and willing to speak and have that sort of passion to do that and that that drive and ability or whatever or confidence probably is the right way of putting it. Um, we tend to ask them to do a lot. <laughs> um, and actually, it's a very it's quite a heavy burden to carry, I think, and yeah, it's to be sort of. Uh, uh, careful, I think, in organisations like ours and others, to not to sort of go to the same people, people or persons all the time, and asking them. And it is about finding more, encouraging, and creating confidence for more people to to do it, and to hopefully, I would hopefully get to the point where, you know, 
it isn't really a, a gender balance question. It's just there are lots of people that, that, that could do this and that they are going to be represented. And, you know, it's almost intuitive and second nature that there's going to be a balance because it's just the natural order of things. That's the way it is in society anyway. That's the hope. Sounds a bit utopian. Do you have a sense, um, Lisa, of the industry you as you would like it to be? Thinking about someone who went into that drawing room that was very quiet and felt that you were talking too much and full of men that were sort of drinking their cups of tea and looking over the drawing boards. Do you have a sense of what the industry in the future could be? Do you have a sort of vision for that? Oh, that's again, it's a really difficult question, is it? Because one thing in our industry um, that I've learned is that change is the only constant. So we are yeah. constantly changing and it's really difficult to see where things are going to go. Um, you know, something that I've seen is is ammonia come full circle. You know, yeah. it was the refrigerant of choice and then we moved away from it and now we're back there. Um some people would say that they always saw it going that way and other people, you know, this shift has been, um, it's a good shift, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's, you know, it's perhaps caught some other people by surprise. Um, I think we're going to become a lot more tech orientated um, and I hope that will then sort of open the the doors to other people. So um, again, like I said, I think that I think tech in terms of gender balance is, is a bit more balanced and perhaps that will transfer across. But that said, I mean, I'd, I'd still like to see more women on the tools. You know, it's, yeah. I think it's probably about part of it, like the, the role models that we talk about. But it's also about creating an environment where everybody feels welcome um, and comfortable to work. And I think that there's so many little things that we don't think about, like PPE and stuff like that. You know, the, the amount of times that I've been to site and it's, you know, if it's a food site, you've got to change and get, you know, the wellies and all the overalls and yeah. everything. There's never a set of wellies that are my size. <laughs> And there's never overalls that aren't like three meters longer yeah. than my arm sort of thing. It's, yeah, it, yeah. And it's about those little things or having the right facilities. Um, and one thing that I've spoken about in the past is when I did my work experience in the factory. Um, so I used to braise on a twilight shift. That's how I, I, how I got through my apprenticeship. Um, the women's locker room was always flooded and that's because they never had any women to use it so I would use the men's lockers room for changing and keeping all of my stuff and it's things like that it's thinking about the facilities you know what are the needs of our staff Um, and that goes beyond just women of course as well it's you know people that perhaps need a little bit of extra support because of a disability yeah we've we've just got to sort of keep changing and like say building an environment where everybody's going to feel welcome and comfortable and it's every day, isn't it? It's not It's not a case of having a policy and having a meeting or having a set of meetings and coming up with something that, that ticks all the boxes from a point of view of the latest thinking or what the policy should read as. It's it's the little decisions like, you know, when you're ordering the shoes, when you're ordering the PPE, when you're thinking about the refurb and where you're investing time and money, those are the sorts of things that make a, a tangible difference on the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. like, because we do spend a lot of hours in our workplace. So you need you need to be in a comfortable um, environment definitely and do you think that the just sort of think about it in terms of do you think that the culture of the workplace literally like the way people behave to each other and stuff is is changing or is is are there still big issues problems in terms of women feeling comfortable sort of sort of socially in work environments in our in our, in our sector I think it is changing and it has changed a lot and again I'm not saying that I've had a bad experience because maybe I would still be in the industry if I had but certainly attitudes um the jokes um and again it's I I don't mind a bit of bounce but sometimes lines will be crossed and it's it's not even perhaps 
things that have upset me it's it's something that I think well potentially you've just upset that person but I, you know that has changed quite a lot um I just think I think we're all growing we're all becoming more aware of each other and we're, we're a lot more understanding of each other um and that's a, it is a very positive thing and I think we are breeding a positive culture as an industry um definitely and I, I think there's there's other areas that are having an impact so that this is the sustainability side of things as well you know we we are more aware of the damage that we're doing to the environment and we're we're coming together under that banner and collaborating more which again it, it's sort of helping to create that feeling the fact you know we have to work together we can't tackle this any other way so we're starting to build networks and communities that we put, perhaps didn't have before so we're working with people that we may not have met before or had in our environment and I think that is sort of pushing and driving that need for change as well is that there's no two ways around it we have to get used to this so I think that's driving it but that's a you know there have been moments that I've just thought sorry what did you just say or you know yeah. why <laughs> why on earth would you think that and there's everything from you know I was at a, um, a rooftop in London looking at some some adiabatic dry coolers and a guy come up to me and he was like are you all right love <laughs> I said yeah do you know what you're doing <laughs> thinking <laughs> oh, well got a high-vis vest you know hat and everything and I was just doing yeah. a survey the equipment wasn't quite working yeah. properly those kind of attitudes um right back to when I was just working in the office and and gentleman decided to spell refrigeration for me it's it's those things that you just think this is why why helpful personally I, I I would find someone spelling it out probably quite helpful half the time because I'm always getting that one wrong um no totally and what about industry events and stuff I mean I'm, one thing I'm conscious of in culture in federation is you know the sort of industry dinner night out you know late into the bar type type environments I mean everyone enjoys doing that sometimes but you know trying to find ways to have events and celebrations that aren't those sorts of things I think is probably a way of opening up to people that, that feel excluded I don't know do you, do you agree with that yeah and I suppose we're probably still doing the same things that we've always done with that um mm. there's definitely more women coming to the events yeah. And I don't think that would happen without a culture shift within their own companies, because at the end yeah. of the day, it's it's their their employer that's sponsoring those places for them. Um, but how, yeah, how you create something that appeals to everybody is a really good question, yeah. because it's it's something that we haven't really found an answer to yet. But but the but the, like you say, the, the, the virtual opportunities means that you can be more inclusive and you can sort of do things that take less time and take less investment, which helps to get people comfortable with different environments and different networks and things, which I think is, a again, a, a tool that can be used to, to achieve things in this area. So Lisa, thanks uh, very much for the conversation. It's been a fascinating insight into some of the things that you're, you're doing in an area that, you know, from a culture federation point of view, obviously we're sort of linked to, but not that involved in when it comes to HVAC and, and other things. Um, can I ask you to sort of, sort of, sort of give me some closing thoughts on, um, what you think we industry could do like tomorrow to make a difference in the areas of promoting diversity and, and whatever so, so, so what key thoughts for sort of leaders that might be listening to this podcast again really really interesting um question so i suppose on the short term like for tomorrow and you're obviously not going to have it happen overnight but um there's not anything stopping people from going out and talking about their careers so if, if you have an opportunity perhaps you have a day that you allow your employees to go out and volunteer in the community encourage them to connect with schools um and I'll always say this if anybody wants any help doing that I'm quite happy to do that I can link you up with the correct people um 
But also to think that when you touched on um, diversity policy, you know, to have a think about that. Is it just a tick box exercise or do you actually want to make some meaningful change? Um, I suppose the other thing I sort of, you know, we talk about people in leadership positions, but, you know, not not leaving such decisions to the last minute, because when you're in a rush, you tend to just look to the same people, or the same talent pool. But, you know, consider who you want to be in those positions in the next three to five years. And help them to develop because the chances are you've got some amazing talent within your pool already, but you're not considering them for those roles because you're not seeing them in those roles. Again, yeah. it's that role model thing, isn't it? But think about, you know, who has the potential and they may not be ready now. And that's part of it, isn't it? Is to identify, you know, somebody who's got that passion and that drive and to help them get to the right place. Lisa, thank you so much. Um, can you sort of just reiterate sort of how people can get involved in the sort of, you know, see the women in RHPCP network and other things you're involved in? Are there places people should be looking for, for, for further information or support in the areas we've been discussing? Yeah, thank you. So we've got um, a page on LinkedIn, which is the IOR Women in RACHP. We welcome anybody who's passionate about it. So it isn't just for women. I want to be clear about that. We've got a number of men that work very closely with us as allies. Um, we have got an Instagram page where we post some of the photographs from our events um, and events you can find on the IOR website. So we do host um, regularly. Most of them are on Zoom or Teams. So like you say, accessible to everybody. But we do do a couple of hands on days during the year as well. So we, we do raising the fundamentals of refrigeration, refrigerant recovery, um, and it's a good opportunity to network. So thank you for letting me share that. Okay. And you've got your own podcast as well. We do. Yes, actually. Sorry, I forgot about that. So we've got the States of Matter podcast, um, which is less about refrigeration and more about careers, experiences and issues that um, are affecting women. Brilliant. Well, I'll, we'll add links to all those things in the in the notes for this for this edition and we'll share it all on social media. Lisa, thank you so much for your time and really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the uh, remainder of your time as a UN ambassador. Thank you. Well, Hopefully you found that to be a fascinating conversation. I certainly did. It's very easy in cold chain to focus in on the things that we deal with most, which is issues to do with storage and transport and 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 supply chain uh, design. Um, and we often sort of pay a little less attention to the issues or the engineering experts, the the, the incredibly skilled, knowledgeable and passionate people that we rely on to build the equipment and the buildings and the systems that we that make it possible for us to do the job that we do. And in Lisa Jane, you've got someone who is really making a difference to the kinds of people that we work in in that space. Now, we talked a lot in that conversation as you have just heard about what's changing and how the world is changing. It might be slow, it might be inconsistent, but it's definitely moving in the right direction. It's something that makes me incredibly optimistic about the future. So there are links available to all the things that Lisa Jane talked about in our conversation in the notes about this meet, this podcast. And please seek it out. Have a look. There are some great initiatives to get involved with. And I'm sure Lisa Jane would uh, be happy to talk to you if you're interested in things you can do in this space. As ever, please don't forget to subscribe to the Cold Chain podcast. Make sure you share it with, with colleagues. Let's make sure that the right people across the industry are hearing these uh, really useful insights into uh, what's going on in our industry. Thanks very much for listening to us. And until next time, goodbye.